everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. If you're new here, I am Kate, the owner and founder of a namesake company called Be There in 5. We are best known for our proprietary reminder mats, which see you on your way out of the house instead of on your way in the home with uh, phrases such as turn off your strainer, turn off your curling iron, blow out your candles, etc. Basically, uh, just serving as a red flag for any landlord that you can and will burn down your apartment at any moment. Not really, just kidding. And yes, I am talking um, unusually fast. I don't want to bore you if you're not new here, but if you are new here, I need to tell you a little bit about what's going on. And I just don't want you to turn me off within the first two minutes. And there's just so many other things you could be doing and listening to, and I need to fight for your attention. So I was going for kind of an auctioneer vibe, but frankly was not pulling it off. So I'm going to slow down from here on out. But yes, Be There in Five has reminder mats. We make a line of tongue-in-cheek artwork. I do a lot of custom watercolors and acrylics for my nearest and dearest. And uh, we have a marketing consulting arm, a couple secret projects, you know, just so you think I'm mysterious and cool. And uh, now this podcast, because I am nothing, I'm not a critic and a lover of popular culture, of uh, providing day-to-day observations and of anything to do with the zeitgeist since the day I was born, really. So thanks for being here. And the song you just heard is called Want You Back by Cheryl Lloyd. And yes, I know this is an old song and it is in that weird area where it is not old enough to be nostalgic and it's not new enough to be relevant to be talking about. But I'd argue that she's in this middle ground of popularity where it, it is not overexposed and you may have forgotten about it. And I just think it is very sweet, upbeat, bubbly, bubblegum pop song along the lines of Little Mix. And you know, I love that. I chose this song because, you know, this the notion of wanting you back is not a it's not a nod to a former flame from yesteryear. For me, it's more a message to my 20s. I want you back. I I, you know, St. Patrick's Day was two days ago and I hibernated. I stayed in. I simply could not deal with the opportunity cost of me not getting work done. And I just was like, whoa, remember when there was a day when you thought that the weekend was legitimately just for relaxing when you your entry level job thought you really deserved 48 hours just to level set and de-stress from your lack of responsibility you had nine to five Monday through Friday. And, you know, I'm super Irish and I wanted to celebrate my heritage and I have the pink undertones and iridescent skin and the volume of moles to prove that I am super Irish. But in Chicago, while it is super popular to, to come here and to celebrate, it is also somewhat of a total slop fest. And you guys know how I feel about Shots Guy from the last podcast. And this is his World Series, if anything, and much worse than the usual shots that are bought for you and then pressured onto you. And then you get shamed if you don't accept the shots on St. Patrick's Day are Irish car bombs, which are just another level because if you are slow down the hatch or if you nurse it, it starts to curdle in the Guinness. And I simply cannot deal with a curdle. I know we as a society decided that moist is the word that we hate that represents like a really gross texture, but I will see your moist and I will raise you a curdle because I think that is truly so foul. And one of the main reasons that I didn't go out on Saturday, but you know what? It's okay. I had a great time. I got some stuff done, thought about some podcast topics. Oh, that's my postmate. Gotta go. Okay, I'm back. You know, I'm not gonna lie. There's some morning, specifically this Monday morning, when I look at the empty water reservoir in my Keurig and the lack of half and half or cream in my fridge and I only see like an almond milk or something tepid that doesn't pack enough punch for the level, the, the shade of beige I need my coffee to be. And I think to myself, meh. It's easier to wait 40 minutes and order coffee from a delivery guy. <laughs> I'm not a monster. I just, uh, you know, I'm all about self-care, right? And I think you can explain away all till the cows come home why 
you should make things more difficult for yourself. When I I might not buy nice shoes and handbags and clothes all the time, but I will pay uh, a large volume of tiny delivery fees that probably add up to a large expense, but to me in the moment made me happy. I don't call it convenience so much as I call it self-care. You can't light yourself on fire to keep others warm. So should I, for me to go around in a frenzy today, going to buy cream and having to pour tap water into my Brita, wait for that tap water to drain before I can then put it in my Keurig, ugh. All the while trying to, you know, run my business, do my podcast, take my dog out, find a new home to live in, and remind myself in said home to just freaking grow up and get a place with a fridge that filters its own water. And I, of course, am being dramatic as always. I don't really think these things are dire. However, if, you know, getting, if I'm just having a bit of a crazed morning and getting a Latin fire mocha from the Cuban place down the street because I can't figure out the right ratio of cayenne pepper to put in my own coffee, if this wonderful latte gives me a little pep in my step, then, you know, is that such a crime? You know, self-care, guys. It's important. I'm sure it is painstaking to listen to somebody complain about missing their youth who has no discernible responsibilities or legitimate human lives to take care of. But uh, hey, we only know our own experience, right? And I try to keep it light. And I think we're all way too hard on on ourselves. And that's one of the things I want to be there in five to always be in a spirit of is we, we, we do a lot. And we always are thinking we could be doing more. But the reality is, we're already pretty damn great. So whether your self-care is ordering a latte off Postmates and the delivery fee is $4.99, which is more expensive than the latte itself, or you take care of yourself by taking a moment to listen to this podcast with some coffee or some wine, just make sure that you uh, remind yourself you're doing the best you can. If you do a little too much and it makes you run a little behind, so be it. You'll be there in five, you swear, you know? It appears that I've suddenly, I seem to think that I am Delilah, but, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I just get in these modes where I want to talk and have a more serious conversation. But alas, I need to get back to Cher Lloyd, who I keep trying to talk about and I keep digressing. Cher Lloyd, who sings this song, is is cute as a button. There is no better way to put it. She is what I would call a pocket girl, aka my ideal body type, which is derived from that of a Polly Pocket, which was a small handheld dollhouse heart-shaped toy with these tiny little dolls you could play with that if your dog or one of your siblings didn't swallow, you definitely would lose within the first day of getting it. But the little Polly Pockets were so small and cute, and it is roughly representative of my ideal body type. But the grass is always greener. As I've mentioned before, I was, you know, 5'8 when I was 12. I've always been taller. And even though life tells you to follow your dreams, unfortunately, my hopes are much higher than my ribcage is narrower. And I just don't really think it's in the cards for me. But I hear petite people say they want to be tall, which I don't understand. I just think it would be, well, just in general, I think it's more desirable to be in a situation where you can correct for the thing you want. So put on a pair of awesome four or five inch platform heels and you don't even look like you're trying that hard. Whereas, you know, I put on a low wedge, clear six feet and all of a sudden people are like, sheesh, you dressed up. And I'm like, okay. Now I have to deal with the Greenland effect of being on the end of a photo and you're tall and expanded and I just feel funny next to all my adorable friends and I don't know. It's kind of like I would way, I would much rather be cold than hot because you can correct for coldness by wearing a bunch of layers and making yourself warm. Whereas when I feel hot, I feel hopeless. I don't know. I just think it'd be fun to be 
of the stature where if you were on The Bachelor, you could do that, uh, you know, run and jump thing that they always do where they haven't seen each other for a while and they're on a hometown date and they the girl runs and jumps into The Bachelor's arms. And from what I can normally see, The Bachelor doesn't break a sweat, which in real life, if somebody picks you up uh, without being prompted and you are a teller girl like myself, you can typically see them start to strain almost immediately. And what was about to be his 360 twirl around stops short of a 180. And you feel uncomfortable uh, watching that person realize that you are indeed more of a two-person carry. And it's not about how heavy you are. It's what I mean is the expectations versus reality. I don't think that people always realize that taller people are considerably heavier than shorter people, regardless of their actual weight. It just it's it is what it is. It's a fact. So let's see where. Oh, yeah. Cher Lloyd. Um, She was actually on the British X Factor, which is just an absolute curator of talent, especially relative to the American reality shows. British X Factor form One Direction. They form Little Mix. They have Leona Lewis of Bleeding Love fame. They, you know, I was about to say Susan Boyle, but she is from Britain's Got Talent. And I can't say that uh, I'm regularly spinning S. Boyle tracks on my iTunes. But, um, you know, she she is uh, the voice of an angel nonetheless. And she reminded us all, if only for a moment, to never judge a book by its cover. And that Les Mis is, in fact... The melodic glue that holds us all together. I, I dreamed a dream is, is truly an inspiration. And uh, I dream a dream that one day they will do a better casted remake and not have Russell Crowe. I mean, have him be a side supporting character, but Javert? Are you kidding? Uh, when he interrupts one day more with most of the cast that can legitimately sing, and he's like, one more day till revolution, we will nip it in the bud. It's like, did we learn nothing casting Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia? Lame is, is it's, it's about suffering, it's about poverty. It requires singing from the depths of your gut and with, with power. And I just, I will never understand that casting decision. I mean, think about it. Taylor Swift was almost in Les Mis. I don't think she was Fontaine or anything, but she was supposed to have somewhat of a supporting role. And even she got rejected for Les Mis, but Russell Crowe made the cut. And in general, if you're ever looking just for an enjoyable video, I know I have my uh, reservoir videos I tap into when I just, you know, need something lighthearted and that it makes me smile. And one of these for me is the How I Met Your Mother cast on Inside the Actor's Studio with James Lipton, where Jason Siegel and Neil Patrick Harris reenact the conflict as Javert and Jean Valjean. And it is truly amazing. And it is so much better than Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe. And they weren't pay paid millions of dollars. And they are hardly even trying. And they are that much better. And then watch every Neil Patrick Harris Tony's opening video and just marvel at his raw talent and, you know, general stamina and ability to sing and dance at one time. I mean, Broadway stars are the real athletes, people. There's like marathon runners and then triathletes and Ironmen. And then there's Broadway stars. And if you don't believe me, Listen to You Can't Stop the Beat from Hairspray, the finale song, and imagine dancing and singing that fast. Sorry, gang. Gotta keep that ringtone on well before the Postmates here. The first one was to call and verify that I did not want my bacon, egg, and cheese on a biscuit. I wanted it on an everything bagel because then I will bring it to my kitchen and pour Trader Joe's everything but the bagel bagel seasoning on it because inevitably in transit, a lot of spices tend to fall into the foil. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Taylor Swift and Les Mis. That would have been weird. And I think it honestly was for the better that she did not pivot to movies because oddly enough, that was during the Red Air. And I don't even think she reached her apex of stardom. I would say 1989 was the real pivotal era for her. And I can never decide if that 
was her golden age of media or if that was the what led ultimately to as she calls it the takedown of her reputation which i relative to other people really don't think was all that bad to be honest and it i think the 1989 era was responsible for people being so ready for her to misstep and that is perhaps why it escalated to where it did when kim released that video footage but here's the thing and i I will stand by her with this because I really don't think that her lying to Kanye is that big of a deal as A, Kanye screwed her over way harder <laughs> in previous years and B, as celebrities have to be professional liars to a degree, maintaining their image and brand is a job and they have a whole camp of people who carefully position them in alignment with what will be the most revenue generating for them, their management, their labels, their agencies, etc. And all celebrities do is lie about who they're dating, what projects they're working on, what work they've had done to their face and body, all in the name of quote-unquote privacy, while exploiting themselves to the public because they want to be as exposed as possible in order to get new projects, in order to sell more albums, more movie tickets, whatever. They don't get famous on being legitimately honest and transparent. They get famous appearing aspirational, mysterious, even famous people who are relatable have chosen that as their shtick, like Jennifer Lawrence. Like, being down-to-earth, goofy, and self-deprecating isn't always authentic. It's often branding. I don't know. Let's just say you wouldn't hire a publicist if your number one goal in your career was authenticity. Along those lines, something I, I feel like I'm asked about a lot on Instagram because I have established myself as a Taylor Swift fan and also a Taylor Swift um, public relations critic um, is if I think her and Carly are still friends. A lot of layers to this question. My short answer is yes. There's some tangible proof. Uh, for one example, when Carly inexplicably went to sushi with Katy Perry and was photographed and definitely didn't need to be photographed. She could have snuck out the back, could have gone to someone's house. That was very deliberate and strange to me. And either could either serve as an example of them having tension because Carly uses their situation to get press for herself. Because whenever she pulls something like that, I look to see what she's promoting. And sure enough, when all that Katy Perry stuff came out, Carly was promoting her steam program with Ford. That's the week it was announced. And of course, in every article they mention her, they mention what she's up to. And she knows how to get people talking about her. Um, but I don't think it's that they're tense. I think they mutually are fine using each other's names uh, to some degree. However, I do think that in general, Carly's separation from Taylor is partially because her management probably wants her to be independently famous. And it's when you are so closely linked to Taylor, your bylines read like Taylor Swift squad member Carly Kloss creates coding camp for girls instead of just Carly Kloss creates coding camp for girls. And I sure, I'm sure at a point it becomes frustrating to not get even have the focus be on your own projects and to just be have the focus be on you being friends with somebody else. So I think that is part of their uh, public separation, even though I'm sure they probably still hang out in private. Um, it, it could be analyzed as they had somewhat of a falling out, but I don't think that this is the case because like uh, when that sushi date happened and everyone was putting rats on Carly's Instagram profile, like a fan desperately like <laughs> put in a comment like, are they still friends? And then Carly Kloss's dad's Instagram commented back saying, yes, they are, which is kind of cute. Dad, like a parents wouldn't understand that like the one offhanded comment on Instagram is probably going to be like a headline tomorrow. Um, so he commented saying, yes, they are. Uh, Taylor's best friend Abigail still likes Carly's stuff. Carly's sisters like Taylor's stuff. If they were total enemies, you, your friends and family wouldn't be talking about how you're fine and liking each other's stuff and whatnot. And there's a few and like, you know, Carly wished her happy birthday this year. There's a few other things suggesting they are on fine terms. Are they still super, super close anymore? I don't know. Because the, I think the first part is that 
Carly wants to separate herself and be independently famous. She wants to be a big star. She's on her way. Her manager is Scooter Braun, the manager of Justin Bieber and uh, Ariana Grande and Kanye West, oddly enough, which I think it's so weird that Taylor Swift's best friend has the same manager as the man that is so tied into the web of taking down her reputation, which is it's a head scratcher. If you ask me, I don't know the relationship there or if part of it is orchestrated, but Scooter Braun also manages Todger Call, which is Taylor Swift's other best friend, who was the guy from Kinky Boots, who was in the Look What You Made Me Do video. And I'm just like, that is really strange how this is all interconnected, if you ask me. Um, so the second part of this is that if you know me and have followed me for a while, you may know that I think that, that, that I've read a lot about the theories that Taylor Swift and Carly Klaus were at one point more than friends. And I don't know how long it lasted or if they're still together. I don't really have like a definite thought on that theory. Um, all I do know is that her, th- her recent paparazzi stuff with like Joe Alwyn is so contrived. Um, he was wearing dark jeans and Nikes, which is a direct lyric from Delicate to hike in Malibu. If you have to hide, if Taylor Swift can like hide for a year at a time, but then like not go hiking without getting papped when she happens to be with her boyfriend when it happens to be three days before the Delicate video launches, like, come on, you, it's not one or the other. She chooses when she wants to be seen. She chooses when she wants to hide. And the time before that, that we all saw Joe was, you know, a few days before the Endgame music video. And clearly he's been being used for strategic purposes. If they're actually together or not, I do not know. Um, But there is a lot of evidence that Taylor and Carly were perhaps involved at one point. And it is good and it is specific. And if anything, if, if you think this sounds absolutely crazy, if anything, just read the beginning of the leaflet of her Reputation album, which says... Um, that she wants to make it very clear. You know what? I'm not going to use my words. I'm going to use her words. Um, it's called, Here's Something I've Learned About People. And it says, We think we know somebody, but the truth is that we only know the version of them they have chosen to show us. When this album comes out, gossip blogs will scour the lyrics for the men they can attribute to each song as if the inspiration for music is as simple and basic as a paternity test. There will be slideshows of photos backing up each incorrect theory because it's 2017, and if you didn't see a picture of it, it couldn't have happened, right? Let me say it again louder for those in the back. We think we know someone, but the truth is that we only know the version of them they have chosen to show us. There will be no further explanation. There will just be reputation. And okay, so this is the very beginning. The first thing she says about her album, which is basically that any guy you think you can attribute to this song is incorrect. Um, And the music and reputation is so transparent to me as being about both men and women about crossing lines about secret relationships about the world wanting to divide people about fears that people are going to find out about her relationship about all of these things that that absolutely do not line up with calvin harris or tom hiddleston or joe alwyn who she's all been very public with like if she wanted to keep these private she could if they were secrets and nobody could know about them and all of the silence and patience pining and desperately waiting my hands are shaking from holding back from you like that does not apply to a person everyone already knows you're dating and I, it's just, ugh, gosh, it's because of this, because of this album, because of the way she did the prologue, because of the rainbow dress and saying reputation out now, because of wearing that dress again in her endgame video and having zero male interests, male love interests in all of her first three videos. And because of a whole host of evidence of uh, hints dropped and breadcrumbs over, over time in the past, you know, three, four years, I just think that she is basically wanting everybody to infer the obvious she she literally says that in her album like all every slideshow about all the men these are about is going to be wrong and that is why i you know i feel comfortable talking about it to a degree it is so beyond not cool to out anybody in any way shape or form but i don't think that for her it's a matter of keep harboring some 
deep, dark secret. I think, if anything, she's been telling us these things all along, because when you go back into 1989, when you go back into Red, over 50% of the album songs are gender neutral. And there's so many stories and things you can line up with these albums and with the hints she's dropped that just paint this really what I think is pretty clear picture of that she's been telling us what she's been doing all along in her life and hasn't really been lying. And we've just been projecting that she is only with men onto her. So it's this interesting balance of, um, I think for real fans, she has always, her intention is always to, in, instead of building, you know, linear narratives, she builds treasure maps and she leaves clues in the forms of, in the form of like song lyrics and paparazzi shots and her album leaflets and social media things and clues in her music videos. And she wants her, all of her fans to assemble and figure out stuff about her life and kind of leaves it open to interpretation because even in interviews when she doesn't reveal that, she says, I just want my fans to listen to my music. And what I see now, having read all of this other side of this analysis, is you can really look at her music one of two ways. But I will say she purposefully transposes pronouns and says contradictory things because I don't think she ever wants us to wants to reveal the truth in full. I don't think she ever wants anybody to fully crack the code, but I think she gives enough so directionally people could figure out one way or the other. And I think the problem too, it's like people really butt heads about this because major Taylor Swift fans are like, get really frustrated when people suggest that she's not actually with Joe or wasn't actually with Calvin and that um, a lot of her life is a secret and potentially is about both men and women. And first of all, I think people need to remember what I said earlier in that uh, we're not entitled to anybody's truth. <laughs> a lot of being famous and being a public figure and having publicity is just painting yourself in one very specific light that you think is the uh, most optimal way to position yourself to generate revenue as a product, as an enterprise, as an empire, which she has. Um, so I think people just need to be generally comfortable with her real life being a departure from her public persona. Um, secondly, I think that she doesn't build linear narratives, but she doesn't withhold them either. So it's kind of this confusing thing where I think we're trying to find truth in a medium that's inherently untruthful because songwriting is art and art is life exaggerated. And it's taking a crumb of an emotion and making it into this more filling entity that probably is inspiration from a lot of different people, a lot of different timelines. She probably writes 50 songs, cuts it to 15, and then recycles songs for another album, splits them in half and merges them. It's more about the probably the composition of the song itself and not about the lyrics aligning perfectly with her life. So I think that we should all just be open to any interpretation we want to take from it. We should listen to what she's saying and that she is telling us that what we see on the surface and in the press is not really her. And I think that we should we need to be okay with the fact that we never may really know because it's her process and her timeline and her use of her platform. And frankly, I can't speak from firsthand experience and I would just want somebody to do reveal that information in whatever way they felt comfortable. But again, I just want to be totally clear. Like, I'm not breaking news here. I'm not um, revealing information that's not readily available and out there on, on several internationally circulated publications from, you know, Daily Mail to Us Weekly to Reddit threads to Tumblr to just like BuzzFeed. I mean, it, it, Jennifer Lawrence brought it up in a recent press interview. It's just interesting how this is all of a sudden like everywhere and she is clearly very aware of it i mean even during the 1989 world tour she was performing in singapore and somebody made like a full-on neon kaler sign that she smiled at she sees this stuff it's, it's in like the comments of carly's jimmy fallon video where she's talking about coding it's just like wild to see of it everywhere right now and until she makes a comment or until it's a suggestion that we all millions of us speculating or 
overly invading on privacy. I will continue to think that this these lyrics and this approach to reputation is fully open for analysis because I think she has positioned it in a way where inevitably people were going to. And I hope that if anything, familiarizing this topic with people would just help her realize that her fans would support her regardless. An example would be like a lot of people speculated about um, Kendall Jenner and she just came out in like that Vogue article last week being like, I'm not gay. It's like, oh, okay, cool. As simple as that. I was never really that I it didn't I didn't really think about it to be honest. I felt like she was always dating people, but um yeah, I mean, it's just it's interesting how people choose to address or not address this sort of thing, you know? Okay, I've been talking for like 10 minutes and I don't even know what I've said. Um you know what? I this this goes back a long time for me. I've been aware of this for a while and I have a lot of information in, in my brain about this topic and I know that not everybody is like a major Taylor Swift fan, but I think a lot of people are fascinated by her and I do think that it's it's an interesting um, angle to consider, and you might look at her differently and some of her decisions differently. So more on that later in the podcast. I'm going to describe what I think I'm going to do to be able to dive into more niche topics or topics on the podcast in more detail or with things that I don't really feel comfortable that are like maybe baseless or just my total opinion that I don't want to put out in such a public forum that I'd prefer like a login type member site that I think I'm going to do for additional information. Well, I'm not going to actively withhold anything from this podcast, just like for more niche topics or things that I want to deep dive into that are my personal interests, that they align with your personal interests. I want to have a separate place to house all of that information outside of iTunes. Okay, Tyler Henry backtracking, looking at my notes, looking at my notes. I see a T, I see a C, I see, oh, oh, uh, did you ever have a male or female in your family? Oh my God, I'm connecting with the beyond. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, this came from Cheryl Lord Lamez, Taylor Swift and Lamez. Oh my God. 15 minutes later. This is insane. Um, <laughs> so yeah, actually, uh, Cheryl Lloyd wasn't even going to be my interest song this week. I had an entirely different song, but I felt it was a bit of a downer, though I still do want to talk about it because originally today I was going to start with City High's What Would You Do, which is a song that I used to sing at the top of my lungs on my daybed, which... At the time when I was, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, I probably didn't realize it was about the plight of a person who had to resort to sex work. But, you know, as an adult, I am seeing this song very, very differently. And while I don't think this word was around at the time, I, I did not realize until I re-listened to this as an adult that this is indeed a, an anthem for mansplaining. Well, just listen, listen to this intro very carefully. Boys and girls want to hear a true story. Saturday night was at this real wild party. They had the liquor overflowing the cup. About five, six strippers trying to work for a buck. Then I took one girl outside with me. Her name was Lonnie. She went to junior high with me. I said, why you up in there dancing with cash? I guess a whole lot's changed since I seen you last. She said, what would you do if the sun was at home? Crying on the on the bedroom floor because he's hungry. And the only way to feed him is a sleep with a man for a little bit of money in his First of all, this guy pulls Lonnie out from her shift at her job and is like, hey, you, I, you went to junior high with me. Uh, guess a whole lot's changed since I seen you last, huh? And like, if I were Lonnie, I'd be like, yeah, you think? A few things have changed since I was 12. I don't know. Life turned out a lot harder than I thought. It's really difficult to get sustainable work and then I had a child with zero support from the father and the child is very hungry and while I should put him on the couch or a bed or a crib perhaps and not leave him crying alone on the bedroom floor of all things still he is alone because I also can't afford childcare. so what do you want me to do what 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 would you do 
And he's like, instead of realizing that there's a good reason perhaps for her to have gone into this profession, given her dire scenario at home, he decides to then double down on the condescension and rap harder at her about how she's making a horrible mistake and says, oh, I, what would I do? Get up on my feet and stop making tired excuses because I wouldn't want my baby to go through what I went through. And it's like, come on, what would you do? Get up on my feet and stop making tired excuses. What would you do? Girl, I know what my mother can do it. And I mean, good for your mom. but. There's a time and a place to use personal anecdote for how you should tell somebody else how to live their life. And in this instance, to quote Rachel Green, no uterus, no opinion. It's not that I disagree with this sentiment, but I disagree with the delivery. And I don't know if life has taught me one thing. It's innocent until proven guilty in terms of the person's probably doing the best they can for the cards they were dealt with in this time that they're in. And a lot of things are a means to an end. And, you know, it's one of those interesting things, because as like a teenager, I probably would have judged Lonnie. In my 20s, I probably would have said, you can do better. But in, I guess in more recent years, my reaction would be, how can I help? Because as you get older, you realize it is not in your or anybody else's best interest as to project your life experiences and opinions on the formula for how things should be onto other people, but instead ask them what they want and where they want to be and why they're here and, and figure out what you can do to bridge that gap. And that's something I didn't learn until too late in life. And perhaps the city high guy did not either. So just like I would have given Lonnie the benefit of the doubt, I'll also give the city high guy the benefit of the doubt. And that I did read on Wikipedia that he wrote this song because he wanted it to be like a country song in which he told a story. And he quite literally did because he started the song with boys and girls want to hear a true story. Saturday night was at this real wild party. And you know, while I wouldn't necessarily say city high is a regular mother goose it's not exactly a nursery rhyme for the ages but i will say city high provided a very compelling story in this song that i clearly am still very invested in and i think stands the test of time so good for them and you know don't get me wrong i am not in support of or a fan of strip clubs by any stretch i don't like anything that objectifies women and you know i guess i have trouble sometimes because the the thought of somebody doing that against their will hurts my heart. But then who am I to say that you, it is not an active decision to dance for cash and you don't enjoy that. And if you do more power to you, I don't know, I'm conflicted. I guess the only thing I can really say in support of a strip club is that I, I do appreciate the how very often the names of these establishments are pretty good puns. Whether you're, you know, Friday Night Lights or Varsity Blues and you have the airport adjacent landing strip or... Whether in Southwest Virginia, where I went to college, and in Southeast West Virginia, I believe it was called Southern Exposure, which is both a great home feature to have to optimize the use of solar panels and the creative name of a strip club with, you guessed it, exposure to Southern ladies. And these billboards were peppered in between lots of very biblical billboards along Interstate 81 that I always found very confusing. And I wondered if they went tit for tat, <laughs> but, uh, but oddly not intended. But I wondered if like, if there was one Southern Exposure billboard put up, then the church put up, you know, your body is a temple right after as if they, they were, you know, going to cancel each other out. But I'd argue like... With these two establishments, both are respective watering holes for saints and sinners, and if you build them, they will come. I don't, I don't think we really need to be advertising for either, and frankly, I would rather see billboards for something educational, like 
If you or a loved one has mesothelioma, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Anywho, um, like similar, well, similar to uh, like Thai restaurants and pho places, another type of establishment that is very keen on a pun. Pho, I think, has really exploded. I mean, obviously, it's a traditional Vietnamese dish, but in the U.S., I feel like pho places are everywhere, and they all have names like pho king and pho real and unforgettable and the like. But anyway, yeah. And then with Thai food, um, there was one in New York that was called Tie Me Up, which I always thought was like a little bit funny. There's uh, there was Tiny Thai, which was like Thai NY, like Thai New York, but it's pronounced Tiny. And then and there's on one of those meme accounts I saw. I think I, I forget where I saw it. Um, there's a Thai place called Titanic, which if there were ever an opportunity for a theme restaurant, sign me up for Titanic because if they like, you know, you know, shoe my heart will go on and they only play Celine Dion and like hauntingly beautiful James Horner music. They serve like sunken noodles. I don't know. There's so many puns. There's so many ways you could go crazy with, with Titanic. I mean, Tom Kai got me like one of your French girls, you know, like I would order that in a heartbeat that really, really amps up uh, coconut chicken soup in my book, in my in, in my chicken soup book for the soul chicken soup for the punny restaurant menu item soul. Tom Kai got me like one of your French girls would be up there. Chicken. OK, do you guys remember those books? Chicken Soup for the Soul. I mean, truly, what a cultural phenomenon. What those books made me feel like I was just this enlightened, philanthropic, compassionate soul, for lack of a better word. The second I was 90 minutes into reading heartwarming storytelling. I think that was my first example of uh, vicarious altruism, where as long as I was reading about somebody else doing good, then I too effectively was doing good without ever having to step foot on a volunteer site. I'd read about a man who built a house for Habitat for Humanity or a woman who approached a man on a street with a knowing smile who turned out to be very different on the inside than he appeared on the outside. And I'd be like, oof, that, I am exhausted. That was hard for me to read. I am compassionate. I am empathetic. I'm a good person. Look, like 13 year old me just crushing the community service game, going to heaven, party of one, sign me up. There were so many iterations of that book. I had chicken soup for the teenage soul. And then I saw it my in-laws and I'm praying this was my husband's book. And it's she's just like an under the radar super fan. I saw chicken soup for the American Idol soul. Now, the title doesn't make a ton of sense because it's not the American Idol lover soul. It's the American Idol soul. So I don't know if it was specifically targeted toward people that were just contestants, but... Frankly, I'm not interested in the heartwarming stories of contestants for a short time period on a reality competition show that was wildly popular and probably gained a decent amount of fame from it. At the very least, a hometown parade and a day named after them, because it seems like every single tiny town in America, if you got in like the top 36, named a day after you. Like, I'm pretty sure Richmond, Virginia still has like an Elliot Yamin way or like an Elliot Yamin day. And, you know, I have a funny feeling that people aren't exactly hopping on trolleys and ripping shots for Elliot Yamin day. But hey, I could be wrong. Who am I to say? You know who deserves their own holiday? The man on the street with a knowing smile. That. May look one way on the outside, but has a heart of gold. That is something I'd toast to. And I think like, I, I don't know, I want to reboot the series, but make the title something that doesn't make sense, like chicken soup for the vegetarian soul, because, you know, obviously they're not eating chicken broth. And uh, 
make it just about stories about how everything's the worst. Because, you know, I think that This Is Us has filled the void of chicken soup and that once a week we're exposed to such a broad spectrum of literally every trial and tribulation you could go through in life. And sometimes somehow I'm still always surprised. And it's just it's one of those things where they'll show you that something horrible happens every week. And you mourn it and it's so scary, but they only show you half of what happened. So then you're left having to wait to figure out how it happened. And then your mind just wanders and goes to these dark places. And after I watch an episode of This Is Us, I'm just like questioning my life choices, wondering why I don't live closer to my family. I'm like all of a sudden considering adoption. I can't even take care of a 12 pound Shih Tzu. But all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I, I, sh- I, should, I should really be a foster parent. That show makes me feel feelings that uh, a high anxiety insomniac has absolutely no business visiting right before bedtime. But you know what? I'm going to stick with it. I love Sterling K. Brown. I love Milo Ventimiglia. And I heard the most heartwarming story about how his first big break was given to him by Sylvester Stallone because he said that there needs to be more side talkers in the business. And Milo Ventimiglia's side mouth talking like he's Helga Pataki is... Uh, his best feature it is so so handsome and i just love him i loved him as jess uh, i am team jess i am not team dean dean was like a, a possessive party of one he he had problematic behavior and especially when he cheated on his wife with rory i, I don't know and if anything i was team logan because it was obvious she wasn't going to marry him but if i were her i would have really taken advantage of that situation and enjoyed the high life if only for a moment and sure it went downhill after you know they stole a boat and she had a meltdown because she like Mitchum Hunsberger said she didn't have it as it relates to working at a newspaper which let's be honest it, when she was graduating print media was uh, in a questionable place and I don't know that Mitchum Hunsberger was really in a position to be turning down a brilliant bookworm from Yale but uh, the actual daughter of Lorelai Gilmore would never ever let uh, their self-worth be defined by the opinion of one ill-informed egotistical man and she took his opinion way too seriously so that did kind of bother me but I just feel like she was always kind of rejecting Logan's gifts and I would have accepted them with open arms. Pay my rent. Take me to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, fly me to Costa Rica. Fly me to Paris. Hell, I, I would have even probably accepted his proposal just to kind of enjoy the ring for a hot minute. And then maybe I would have changed my mind. But I just kind of uh, I, everybody wanted Logan to be uh, the bad guy. But I thought he was actually a really nice guy who was trying to overcome a lot of bad habits he had from having very detached and aloof parents in his upbringing and way too much money for his own good. He was actively trying to change himself to be better for Rory, who I have to say, above any other famous person, I would say Alexis Bledel is like, I think she looks wise is very underrated. I think she is so, so beautiful. And she's just weirdly taken a path of extreme privacy where she got married to that dude for Mad Men and like had a baby without anybody ever knowing. And I think for me, this was really brought to light when she was in Sin City and everything was black and white except her baby blues. I was like, holy crap, she really is gorgeous. And I guess she doesn't really market herself or take roles that are traditionally sexy, but she's kind of an American icon in that she is Rory Gilmore. And it is so hard for me to watch her be tortured in The Handmaid's Tale, but it's even more torturous for me to sit there and watch Elizabeth Moss on her high horse about the Me Too movement at the Golden Globes when she is a Scientologist. I'm no subject matter expert, but I watched Leah Remini's show on A&E, and let's just say that I don't think many devout Scientologists have a lot of room to be promoting human rights, while also 
being complicit within that organization. Where is Shelly Miscavige? I just, I don't know. I'm so concerned. It is, oof, the, uh, I can't get into that today. A lot of people have asked me if, like, I would cover more true crime related stuff. And I do, like, I love conspiracy theories, but like, I don't watch anything related to um, crime, any legal dramas, any medical dramas, any fire, police dramas, none of that. I don't watch TV to feel worse. I don't watch TV to be brought down and to convince myself I'm going to get some medical condition somebody has on Grey's Anatomy. And I feel very stressed in the presence of fire and law and order is just, it really bums me out. I, I can't separate myself from that. And I think a lot of people love the whodunit, like mystery solving thing, but yeah, not for me. I, I'm I'm pretty vapid in terms of my choices for content, with the exception of the occasional documentary. And I do love anything trivia related. And I do watch Jeopardy every day. And fingers crossed that I did well on my exam last week and can actually just try out this year. I just want to try out because at the beginning of every Jeopardy episode, they have people tell an anecdote and they are always so boring, like such a snooze. They're, or, and, and or they're so nerdy. No offense, but... It's like, can't you just tell something like a little bit more of a personable story that makes you seem a little bit more well-rounded? My dad was a finalist for Jeopardy in the 80s. And they, in the tryout process, they ask you for that anecdote very specifically. And I think that sometimes it's a weeding out factor for who they ultimately pick. And my dad's response was that his daughter was about to be born. And though I think this was about my sister, if I were on Jeopardy, I could say it was about me. And then I could go on Jeopardy and be like, my anecdote is that my dad's anecdote was that I was about to be born. And you said that wasn't good enough, but here I am now. So suck it, Trebek. I mean, that'd be awesome. And then if I won day two, I could be like, I own a doormat company. And people would be like, oh. Cool life. R sounds riveting. Uh, you own the metaphorical equivalent of a person who's walked all over and something you wipe your dirty feet on. Yeah, what's, what's your next idea? A wet rag business? Anyway, people are really harsh about the flooring biz, but I gotta say, it, when, I, when I got in the game, it wasn't nearly as popular. Let me just say that. I also think if I was on Jeopardy, my outfit would be super cute. I don't know if they give you like a really specific drab and tailor like not even loft just like the most plain biz cash you could ever find with a not no not even so much as a statement necklace i mean do twin sets exclusively sponsor jeopardy is what i need to know the number of cardigans i see it just is very disproportionate to the number of cardigans i see anymore in day-to-day -day life and i would like to know what their wardrobe department is telling people. What I do know, though, is that they film like back to back eight episodes in one given day. So even though there's outfit changes and it appears to be different days, it is, in fact, the same day. So can I blame a person for having a cardigan that also comes with a faux tank top underneath? Not necessarily. I spent majority of my youth wearing uh, sweater vests that were attached to Oxford shirts from like the limited and uh now that I think about that, that was a really boxy look for my body type. And I'm not, you know, as I mentioned, not a pocket girl. What's the, what's the opposite of a pocket girl? Like a knapsack girl? Could I fit in a knapsack? Honestly, I'm not even sure. I'm more of like a rollerboard. I could fit in. <laughs> anyway, I need to get going. So real quick on the note of the Taylor Swift thing I was talking about earlier. But yeah, I've recorded a much more in-depth analysis of this that is just way too deep for like a person who pays attention in passing to Taylor Swift stuff but hasn't like gone in deep. 
I've like been reading this for so long that it just was like a brain dump basically of, of what I've absorbed from reading different blogs and interviews and listening to her music and what I've gathered from all of the evidence that supports uh, my theories about her love life. So if you want to see that, that will be on a website called Patreon. Now, before you freak out, please hear me out because people tend to get very upset over anyone suggesting that something is going to cost them a small amount of money. I'm not taking or withholding anything actively from this podcast that I would normally put on there in an effort to make money off of it. What I'm doing is trying to ha establish an additional forum for deeper dives, for bonus episodes, for things that I don't feel totally comfortable putting on iTunes. But a couple things here. First of all, I don't think it's cool to post things that are baseless or just to gossip on as public of a forum as iTunes. And I want to be able to talk a little bit more freely. I want to be able to edit a little bit less and just keep it among a community that um, kind of understands this and is in like super into it. And also I want to be able to deep dive into other topics that are just too specific for um, the general podcast. Like it's, it's almost like I want to take certain topics that I bring up on the podcast and like go deeper. And with a site like Patreon, you pledge like a dollar a month and that's how you get access to all that content. And what I like about it, because I use it for the stuff I follow, you can comment individually on an episode and provide more specific feedback instead of one overarching review for the entire podcast you do once. And I like love that. It's more of a community. Now, I know people complain about paying for stuff, but the reality is that the monetization model of content is you either pay for ads or you pay for a subscription. I think a dollar is kind of a non-event and I pay a dollar to, I think, like six or seven podcasts that I really love because I don't have like Sirius XM or any of those. So I just like to support the people I already like to listen to more of their stuff. But everyone everywhere is asking for your money. And I totally get that. And half the time people ask me for my money, I'm like, uh, GFY. However, if this is some, if you are somebody that likes what I'm talking about and is into it, awesome. And it helps me to justify spending time on it. And frankly, I would be a giant, giant hypocrite to say that I don't think that creative content has value. I don't think your time and money and effort has value because I am first and foremost a business person. And it would be ridiculous for me to put a ton of work into something that is free in its entirety. And in doing this, it is my way to be able to interact more and give more of what the people that are really, really into this want to listen to without feeling very nervous about it being so public. I just, I like, I like the tighter knit community. It's almost like how on Instagram, it's a little easier to say stuff that's fleeting because it disappears in 24 hours. This is just kind of a way to um, keep the circle a little bit smaller. And to be totally honest, I hate when people are selling me something and try to hack like it's something it's not or sugarcoat it. You know, the bottom line is stuff costs money. Your time and your effort has value. I need to make a living. It is hard for me to spend time on it otherwise. So if you like it, pay for it. If you don't, don't. And just come back every week for the free stuff. Cool? Cool. So if you want to check that out and sign up for it and know when um, uh, stuff is going to be coming out, go to patreon.com slash be there in five. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash be there in five. Five is spelt F-I-V-E, not the number five. And I know you're not stupid. You can spell be there in five. but so often people can't find me because they use the number five and that is something, frankly, I just should have thought through before I started this company. Okay, for real, I have G2G, TTYL, Lilas. Today I will leave you with a favorite song of mine. This is a song from what I would say is the golden age of uh, female-led R&B music where the songs aren't petty, they, they aren't pandering, they're not trying too hard to be something else. They are just simply from the heart. And it shares a name with a very overpriced clothing store was like industrial chic and like i don't know kind of like tries to appear low maintenance but then they sell sequin skirts for four hundred dollars and that store just called all saints and i would describe all saints as being frustratingly 
uh, dystopian steampunk desert New Year's chic. I, for one, have never been able to afford an item from there, nor do I think anybody that legitimately does use ropes and pulley systems for their closet rods can afford it, but what are you going to do? I don't love All Saints, the store, but I do love, love, love All Saints, the R&B group. So anyway, with that, please leave me a review, a rating, a review, a verbal, a star. I don't care. It all, it all goes into the algorithm. And I may or may not have spent two hours on the phone with iTunes this week, uh, not accusing them, but asking them if there was some sort of conspiracy involved in their algorithm, because that is how you get on new and noteworthy is a combo of ratings, reviews, and stars, and downloads, and I have had no less than 40 people tell me that they haven't been able to leave one, and I just don't understand why unless they actively don't want me on the charts, because uh, perhaps it's because I'm using, you know, 20 seconds of song excerpts, but I'm actively trying to use songs that are old or maybe forgotten about to drum up interest. I'm looking for a return for these artists that I think oftentimes are underrepresented in, in the modern era. And, you know, if I was just trying to steal, I would simply use the bridge of King of My Heart, like I described from Taylor Swift's album, because I love it so much, but I'm scared of her. And uh, she's sold enough albums. So instead, I'm going to feature this incredible, incredible group from the 90s. I, I chose this because it's one of my all-time favorites, and I can never, ever thank you enough for your kindness and support and you coming back each week. And as always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. Yeah.